Hello everyone. Welcome to Yashoda Hospital's online segment, The Health Talk Session. We are here today to answer all your health-related queries on the topic Hepatitis by expert doctors here. Do post your queries on our social media network and we'll get them answered shortly. I'm Dr. Lakshmi and today we have with us Dr. Dharmesh Kapoor, Senior Consultant Hepatologist from Yashoda Hospital, Sikindrabad. Welcome, sir. So, sir, start off with what is the current burden of viruses affecting the liver? So the viruses which have an affliction for the liver, they are called hepatotropic viruses. So these viruses can be broadly classified into two categories. One which produce an acute affection and in this category you have hepatitis A and hepatitis E. They are the commonest causes of acute jaundice or ectric illness that we see in the general population. By far more important are the viruses which can produce some chronic sequelae after they affect the liver. And in this category you have hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Both these two viruses they have a predilection to produce what we call as chronic hepatitis. That means after affecting the liver they can continue to survive in the hepatocytes or the liver cells and then produce their pathogenic effects. Do post your queries on the topic hepatitis and we'll get them answered shortly. So taking few questions from a social media network, we've got Mr. Rajiv asking us from Hyderabad. He wants to know which virus is more dangerous, hepatitis B or C and how is it transmitted? Right, so this is an excellent question and this is what the general public should be quite aware of. So these hepatotropic viruses, especially hepatitis B and hepatitis C, they get transmitted by what we call as the percutaneous route. That means they do not spread through contaminated food or water which is what the acute viruses spread through. So hepatitis B and hepatitis C, they have common modes of transfusion, transmission. That means by way of blood, blood products, body fluids, sexual intercourse, mother to child. So these are the only ways that these viruses can get transmitted to the human host. Now coming to which one of them is more dangerous, the hepatitis C virus survives only in the cytoplasm of the hepatocyte. So this is called a cytosolic virus. And now we have extremely effective treatments against this virus. So once somebody has been treated with the agents which are effective against this virus, this virus would be eradicated forever from that host, unless that host is at a high risk of catching a reinfection. On the other hand, hepatitis B virus, it enters the nucleus. So that is the part of the cell which is, you could say, almost immortal. And that makes this virus also immortal. It rapidly integrates with the genome of the host and therefore can continue to churn out copies of its various proteins, even though when you test the patient's blood, you might not see any virus. So even though this is a difficult question to answer, but I, I would say that on a head-to-head -head comparison, possibly hepatitis B is more dangerous than hepatitis C. So sir, talking about virus transmission, are there any risk factors which makes one more prone to this disease? Right, so like I said that people who've been transfused with blood at a time when the blood was not, the donor blood was not being very stringently tested for these viruses, which is generally, uh, which is generally seen in patients who've received blood transfusions prior to the turn of this century, or those who have high risk behavior. So people who have, who indulge in IV drug abuse, tattooing, a dental procedure or a surgical procedure in which the instruments might not have been thoroughly cleaned. So these are the various ways in which you can have this percutaneous exposure. 
However, there are a few class of patients that I would specifically want to mention. These are the patients who are chronically dependent on blood or blood products. And important in this category are patients who suffer from thalassemia and hemophilia. These also represent the most difficult to treat patients with these viruses because they are repeatedly exposed to blood and not every time the blood that the, that the patient receives has been stringently tested for these viruses. So this is one category of patient which still continues to bother us treating physicians. So moving to the next question from our social media, we've got Mrs. Sujata asking us from Karnul. She wants to know what are the general symptoms that one should suspect hepatitis? So when hepatitis affects you acutely, the symptoms are of malaise, fatigue, body pains, fever. Some patients might develop a transient rash and this is followed by the ictric phase wherein the patient develops jaundice which is manifest by yellowish discoloration of the eyes or passage of high colored urine. The patients might complain of some dull ache in the upper part of the abdomen, especially on the right side. So this is what happens when the patients are acutely ill and this syndrome would be seen in any of the viruses that I mentioned a little while ago. When patients suffer from chronic hepatitis and herein I am talking about only chronic hepatitis B and hepatitis C, the symptoms might be rather subtle. So these patients might have just malaise, fatigue, they might feel a little low on concentration, the appetite might be poor, the libido might be lost. So these are very non-specific things which we attribute in our day-to-day -day life just to the stress of daily living and therefore these can be passed off by patients as not having much of, a, uh, much of an impact. And when you test these patients, you find that these patients have deranged tests of liver function and when you pursue further and do the viral serology, you might be surprised to see hepatitis B or hepatitis C markers being present in these patients. So sir, apart from the symptoms, what are the general tests that one must do to keep the liver function to keep in check? So the basic test starts off with the tests of liver function, which is an estimate of the liver enzymes. And these are AST or SGOT, ALT and SGPT. And then you test the serum bilirubin values. And the synthetic function of the liver is assessed by checking the coagulability in a given host which is called the INR value and albumin which is the principal protein which is synthesized by the liver. So all these tests taken together they constitute the liver function test. Coming on to the viruses specifically, so we run a test which is called the viral screen and this test is a composite of hepatitis B virus assessment, hepatitis C virus assessment and assessment for the HIV virus. So this is the basic screening test that we advocate for any patient who comes to the liver clinic. And then all of this can be supplemented by a quick ultrasound scan, which will tell you whether this liver looks normal morphologically or not. So taking the next question, we've got Mr. Vishnu from Karnataka. He wants to know, can hepatitis cause cancer? This is again a super question. So in our country, the commonest cause of liver cancer is the hepatitis B virus. Actually in the entire Asian continent, this is the commonest cause of the liver cancer apart from in Japan where again hepatitis C is the commonest cause. And in our country hepatitis C is the third commonest cause of liver cancer. So like I said these viruses they have a predilection to stay on in a given host. They produce sequelae and these sequelae can be very devastating in the form of chronic hepatitis, cirrhosis. The patient can go on to decompensate that means lose his liver function and then HCC. 
So HCC occurs with the frequency of about 1 to 2 percent per year in those who have got chronic hepatitis C and about 3 to 4 percent per year in those who are afflicted with the hepatitis B virus. Most of the times hepatitis C uh, evolution would be silent and these patients have to be on a good effective surveillance program for us to be able to diagnose these cancers early. So, sir, what are the newer treatment modalities what is there now in the market to treat hepatitis? So, for hepatitis B, the most effective treatment is in the form of what we call as nucleoside or nucleotide agents. These are the agents which inhibit the viral replication. The commonly used drugs are entecavir and tenofovir. We have experience of using these drugs for more than one and a half decades. Both these two drugs are extremely effective. But what you must impress upon a given patient is that they should be adherent to therapy. So please remember, oftentimes people will come back and argue with you that once in a while I miss my BP pill or I miss my diabetes pill. So what's the big deal about missing the virus pill? So the liver has got a tremendous potential to synthesize new virus copies. In an untreated patient, about 10 to the power 12 virions might be synthesized per day for hepatitis B. So you have to impress upon the patient that this tablet must be taken every single day. You do watch out for what it does to the test of liver function as well as side effects though the side effect profile for this, these drugs is extremely good. Coming to hepatitis C, since 2014 there has been a revolution in the way we look at this virus and treat this. This virus is treated with agents which are called directly acting antivirals or DAAs. The backbone of the treatment is a drug called sofosbuvir and we use a number of other viral replication inhibitors in conjunction with the sofosbuvir molecule. These drugs are extremely effective and we are able to achieve what we call as sustained virologic response in more than 95% of cases. Sustained virologic response means that the virus remains negative in the blood of the patient as long as the treatment is on and even after you stop the treatment, the virus does not come back to haunt this patient. So this is called SVR and this is the final endpoint of therapy. So moving to the next question, we've got Mr. Prashant from Sikhindrabad. He wants to know, are there any preventive vaccines for hepatitis? For hepatitis B, we have a preventive vaccine and that has been there for many decades. It is probably one of the most efficient vaccine that is known to medical science. The medicine, the vaccine is very cheap, very easy to administer and the schedule for vaccination is also very simple and patient friendly. So I think my, my job for this interview would be done if anyone who is listening to this interview goes and gets themselves checked for the viral screen and if they are negative, they go and get the hepatitis B virus vaccine done. We are all now caught up with the COVID vaccine and I get a little surprised in the clinic when I ask the patient that have you been vaccinated and almost everyone would say that yes, I have taken my COVID shots. But when I try to zero in on to the hepatitis B vaccine, the patients draw a blank. So I think this is one of the most effective vaccines that is available in medical science and everybody, regardless of the speciality that you work in, you should try to make sure that the person sitting in front of you has been vaccinated. For hepatitis C, the vaccine has been an abysmal failure. So please remember, like HIV, this is a RNA virus. This virus mutates very rapidly. It occurs in the body in a number of different forms 
and that is to evade the immune system and that is why the development of hepatitis C virus vaccine has lagged behind. But now because we have got such effective therapy available against this virus, again on the research side also, the vaccine development has taken a back seat. So sir, apart from the vaccine, what are the other general measures that one should take to prevent hepatitis? Right. So again, this is something which is extremely important to realize. Oftentimes as physicians, we would just give a prescription to the patient and hope that our job is done. So we must impress upon the patient that healthy lifestyle is enormously important in making sure that this virus does not come back to haunt you. So I have already spoken about those uh, cohorts which are predisposed to reinfection with the hepatitis C virus. Now for both these two viruses, if you concomitantly take alcohol or you suffer from alcohol use disorder, the injury to the liver will be much more than it would be with the virus or alcohol alone. So this is something that you must impress upon your patients. In more recent times, we have suffered from the pandemic of obesity or caloric explosion, which is probably going to outlast the COVID pandemic too. And this again, we have realized that when there is excess fat in the liver or the patients have got scar tissue in the liver due to fatty liver disease, then these viruses, they can, they can create more havoc for the patient as well as for the liver. So these are two lifestyle modifications that you must impress upon every patient. Apart from that, exercise regularly, regulate your caloric intake, stay away from smoking. So all these are the things that we must tell and inform and educate our patients about. So taking the next question, we've got Mr. Rajesh from Karimnagar. He wants to know what is the role of liver transplant in hepatitis and when should one consider this option? So again, this is something that we are oftentimes asked in meetings and this is, this is something which has now caught the imagination of the, of the, of the hepatology and transplant uh, surgery domains. So for hepatitis B, I have already mentioned that you have got extremely effective drugs called nukes available. But many a times these patients, they present rather acutely and this syndrome is called acute liver failure or acute on chronic liver failure. So when patients become acutely unwell due to the hepatitis B virus uh, affecting the liver, at times you are not able to salvage the situation just by starting the nuke therapy. So if the liver has already gone down the cascade of liver cell injury and the liver regeneration cannot keep pace with the liver cell death, then these patients develop this severe sequelae which is called ALF or ACLF. In this situation, the patients would not get better till such time you have transplanted them. For hepatitis C, the number of transplants that we have been doing in recent times has substantially come down and that is not just our experience but experience from many parts of the world. Why this has happened is because of the extremely effective treatment that is now available and like I mentioned a little while ago, the DAAs are able to achieve a sustained virologic response in more than 95% of the patients in whom you use these drugs. However, there is a caveat. The patient selection for hepatitis C treatment should be very astute. So if a patient already has got loss of liver function and then you diagnose them to be having hepatitis C, you must send this patient to a higher center, especially a center that is equipped to perform transplants before you start the DAA therapy. When you start the therapy with these agents which act against the virus multiplication, a proportion of these patients might not recover. In fact, their tests of liver function might deteriorate further. And in that situation, 
these patients are better off by being transplanted first and then after transplantation we treat them for the hepatitis C virus. The second important cohort which would need transplant is when you have got a patient afflicted with hepatitis B or hepatitis C who also has a concomitant cancer or HCC. We have already spoken about this a little while ago. So if the patient has got liver cancer and in the background of hepatitis B or hepatitis C related cirrhosis, these are again examples wherein the best definitive treatment can be offered by liver transplant. So sir, what is the outcome in these patients after transplantation? So patients who get transplanted at the stage of acute liver failure or acute on chronic liver failure, we call them high acuity patients. So these patients, when it comes to the technical success of transplant, they will do extremely well. But we must understand that there are immunologic nuances to this surgery. And therefore, these patients must be managed by experienced centers. We are looking at survival rates of 90 to 95% patients in uh, patient survival in mature programs. So I think when somebody is extremely unwell, they should be referred to higher centers which have been doing transplants for this indication for a fair length of time. When patients get transplanted for liver cancer, again the patient selection should be very good. We must make sure that the, the tumor has not invaded any blood vessel. We must make sure that the tumor has not gone beyond the confines of the liver and then only offer surgery to these patients. If we miss out these counts, then there can be a recurrence of the HCC after the surgery. So I think it all boils down to a very good and careful patient selection and then if the technical job has been well done and the patients are managed well in the ITU, they will have outcomes no different from the patients that we transplant for chronic liver disease. So sir, what general message you would like to give to the public regarding hepatitis and liver care? Right, so I think the general measures of liver care is that you must exercise regularly, you must eat in moderation, you must get your vaccines done on time and for that you will need to get your viral screen and test of liver function uh, done up front. And if all these things are in order, we must make sure that we stay away from high risk behavior. So please remember that it all boils down to how you conduct your life. So people who, who have the, uh, the habit of uh, indulging in uh, promiscuous behavior or those who have IV drug abuse, they will always be at risk with transmission with these percutaneous viruses. So I think an extremely important message is that we should be able to pick up the high risk group and I have already spoken about the medical cohort like the thalassemics and hemophiliacs which are for no fault of theirs at an increased risk to develop or contract these viruses. But in the general public, anyone who's been exposed, they must get themselves tested. And like I said that we have an effective vaccine available against hepatitis B, but not so against hepatitis C. But if hepatitis C is picked up early, there is extremely good treatment available. Then when it comes to consumption of alcohol, smoking, tobacco, so on and so forth. So I think this kind of addictive behavior, we always must educate our patients uh, in, uh, and tell them to stay away from such, such habits which can, which can damage the liver health. Hope all your queries on this topic were answered. We look forward for your active participation on to the next week. Thank you for joining us. Take care and stay safe.